0: Welcome to another episode of Behaviorally Speaking, a podcast featuring board certified behavior analysts Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi. On this episode, Angela and Kristen are joined by Dr. Darren Sush, a licensed clinical psychologist and fellow BCBA. Darren is here to share insights on the ins and outs of anxiety, a topic that is facing many parents and caregivers in light of the recent coronavirus pandemic. Behaviorally Speaking is brought to you by Rethink Benefits, an employer-provided resource for employees and families affected by developmental disabilities and neurodiverse conditions. Learn more at RethinkBenefits.com. And now, here are your hosts, Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi.
1: Hi everyone, and welcome back to our fourth episode of Behaviorally Speaking. I am one of your hosts, Angela Nelson, board certified behavior analyst and mother of two.
2: And I'm Kristen Bondi, also a board certified behavior analyst and mother of two. Hey Angie. Hey Kristen. All right. Well, hi everyone. Today's topic, it is going to be the ins and outs of anxiety. We get a lot of questions and concerns, really, from families or parents who have children with mental health concerns and anxiety being a really common one. And it comes into play during a lot of our discussions with families. And so as behavior analysts, we don't really do psychotherapy but we didn't want to leave this subject out when we were thinking about some of our podcast topics. It's a really important topic, and we wanted to make sure to give families reliable information. And so we thought, well, what better way to do that than to bring in an expert?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Kristen. Yeah, we we thought, who could we bring in to talk about this topic? Someone that knows our field of ABA and the type of work that we do with families but also really is an expert on this topic. So I thought why not invite my friend Dr. Darren Sush to join us. Hey Darren.
3: Hi how are you?
1: <laughs> we're good. Thanks for being here today. Of course, so yeah so Darren I, I felt like you were kind of the perfect person for this. You have a lot of experience and I'll I'll give you some time to, to share all about what you do in a minute but um you know, Darren. Darren and I have known each other for I think we d- we decided last week it was fourteen years. I guess yeah. Not yeah. Long time. Oh, wow, <laughs> yeah, fourteen years since two thousand six. <laughs> this is when we were like little be- baby behavior analysts at that time. Um, Darren and I worked at an agency in Los Angeles supporting. Um, Children and teens and their parents and families um, with developmental disabilities, mainly autism. And um, yeah, we had we were lucky enough to to uh, work together again now. So Darren, you work with us here at Rethink. Supporting uh, parents and caregivers, and uh, so we're we're excited to have you here today. Um, Darren is kind of a jack of all trades; he really does it all. Um, you wrote a book, a, a textbook last year. You are a public speaker. You've got private practice. You are doing all sorts of stuff, um, and maybe you can share with the audience a little bit of what you're you're doing these days.
3: Sure, yeah, I'll give kind of the brief <laughs> the brief intro. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, as everyone mentioned, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist in, in California. Uh, I'm also a board-certified behavior analyst with a with doctoral distinction. Um, I do have a, a private practice where I provide traditional talk therapy, and, and I'm, in that practice, I do mainly focus in working with uh, parents of uh, individuals who have a, a diagnosis like autism or, or other special needs, developmental disabilities. Um, and then I've, I've worked kind of across a variety of settings as a behavior analyst, um, I've worked with kids in the school setting and home setting and clinic based programs uh, and, and I've also, uh, as a mental health clinician, have worked uh, in inpatient units as well.
1: Nice. That's a good, you got a good um, CV or, or, or resume <laughs> going.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Awesome. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Well, yeah. So I guess what we'll do, we'll kind of just segue right into the questions. We we have a list of questions that we thought would be best suited for Darren to answer. And um I guess, I don't know, Kristen, should we just go ahead and jump on into that? Yeah,
2: let's do it. So I think uh, maybe the best starting point, and Angie, we always kind of start at the beginning every time. So uh, really, let's start out, Darren, if you wouldn't mind just explaining to our listeners just what is anxiety and what does it look like?
3: Yeah, well, it, it's a great question, and it seems like such kind of an obvious answer because if you think about that word anxiety, it's just used so much. So many people kind of they'll they'll, they'll describe their feeling as oh, I'm feeling really anxious, or oh man, I got a lot of anxiety going on today. But um, it, it, even though we use it so often, it's it's a real thing, and and can actually be and is and leads to a real diagnosis or mental health diagnosis. But so when we're thinking about that word anxiety or the term anxiety, it's it's an emotion, and usually. An emotion used to describe a feeling of, of being uh, tense or worried, uh, having a lot of, a lot of stress. Um, and, and the one thing to really know about anxiety or worry or tension or stress is that it's, it's so common. I mean, everyone has, has had at some point a feeling of being anxious. Everyone has had some point of feeling of, being, of, of, of saying as though they have, uh, quote unquote, anxiety. It only really becomes a medical disorder or a mental health condition Um, when those levels become what we might call persistent or or maybe disproportionate. So if the anxiety is very uneven to the circumstance, or if you find as though you're feeling this way more often than not, or more days in a row uh, than not, or maybe if you're feeling as though these worries, and concerns are kind of taking over a bit to the point where it's impacting your, your relationships with other people or your ability to do things that you maybe once enjoyed or um, or impacting other areas of your life. Maybe it's impacting your work a bit. Um, that's when we would start to look at anxiety, maybe moving a bit away from just that experience that a lot of people have, that feeling that a lot of people commonly have, to something that might be a little bit more concerning and, and probably a good idea to look to get some help.
2: Great. Yeah, that's a great answer. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I'll give a,
1: a disclaimer, I forgot to do this at the beginning, but Darren, Kristen, and I all have two kids each, and so if you hear any <laughs> laughing or singing or other sort of behaviors in the background, it's because we're all quarantined in our homes and doing this from our our, our home offices, so, mm-hmm. you know, just carry on, carry on, yeah. <laughs> um, but but Darren, your, your explanation makes a lot of sense, and I had a follow-up question for you, I think a lot of families are wondering, so... Um, So if it doesn't cause kind of disruption in your life um, and it's just this kind of underlying underlying feeling of kind of uneasiness, would that still be considered anxiety or would that just be kind of just like a normal feeling? Like, where's the tipping point?
3: Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. And I think, you know, there's a difference between feeling anxiety or something that we might call, quote unquote, anxiety or being anxious versus a diagnosis that someone might get, which typically would be something like generalized anxiety disorder, but it maybe might be panic disorder or one of the uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, one of the similar kind of conditions. So feeling anxious or or having some anxiety once in a while, um, it's pretty common. I mean, I think, I I don't think I've ever spoken to anybody and I don't think I'm ever going to who hasn't at some point been anxious. Um, But it's, I think the, Where we get into that diagnosable anxiety, where that that word starts to take on that additional meaning is when we start to see it happening more often than not. When we find ourselves kind of plagued by those thoughts or feelings or just uneasiness, that restlessness more often than not. And that's not to say that you can't get help or you shouldn't seek help unless you're meeting this x, y and z criteria, but I think when we're looking at from a diagnosing perspective, usually mm-hmm. we usually what we're looking for is kind of the severity or the commonness of those thoughts or feelings
0: mm,
1: okay that yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's really helpful for people to hear that too. I think especially right now with everything going on with the health and safety concerns around the world, you know, this is a, a common feeling. So it's good yeah. to kind of break it down.
3: I, and, and, you know, that's a, that's a really good point that you make. There's, you know, there are things in life that are stressful. There are things in life, just in everyday life, even when we're not kind of quarantined and have shelter in place notices and things like that, there's stuff that's going to make you feel stressed or anxious and or worried. And and it's understandable. It's, it's a real feeling and it's, it's a valid feeling. Um, and some things are going to cause a lot more stress or a lot more anxiety than others. But I think we start to maybe take a little bit more note to, is the stress, is the worry, is the tension, is the irritability um, even uh, even more so than the situation? Um, and are we unable to shake it? Um, are, is it something that we find is kind of encompassing other areas of our life? And then that's where we might start to look into, again, that distinction between just hey, this is anxiety versus, hey, this is a diagnosable condition.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Thanks for that. I think that, that really makes it a little bit more clear for everybody. So, okay. Um, one of the other things that Kristen and I were, were talking a little bit about as we were brainstorming for this podcast is we know that anxiety can manifest differently in kids and teenagers and adults, maybe you can help us kind of splice that out a little bit. Like how does it look for each of those groups or populations?
3: Yeah, it it could be pretty similar, but also pretty different. So I think we can kind of go through maybe what anxiety generally looks like, maybe in in whether we're talking about kids, adults, teens, or whomever, and then we can think about hey, what might this look like for for the little ones? Um and, and a lot of the differences that you might see really might relate a lot to just uh, language capabilities, right, so kids you know not they're not really able to express themselves as fluently as adults in some cases <laughs> could be um, and And you know, as adults, we have years and years of kind of developing coping strategies and means of kind of managing or dealing with or just kind of tolerating stressful cir- circumstances and situations. Kids don't have a lot of those experiences under their belt just yet. So because of that, we might see some differences in those two areas. But in, in general, uh, usually we kind of notice anxiety either in ourselves or maybe in someone close to us. We might you know, notice or see some irritability, some restlessness. Um, uh, maybe, maybe in ourselves, we kind of have ch- some challenges sleeping, um, some uh, racing thoughts, We might have some kind of physical symptoms too. Maybe our stomach feels odd. Um, We can even have some uh, literal physiological differences. We have some gastrointestinal issues. Um, Blood pressure can be affected certainly by anxiety, Um, but we might have some rapid heart rate, rapid breathing. Um, But when most people try to put a pin on, hey, I'm feeling anxious, a lot of times there's that physical sensation of just, ooh, something feels off. I feel like I'm kind of moving when I'm not moving. Um, and then they might also feel restless or worried. They feel like maybe they're having some restless restless thoughts or thoughts that just are over and over going on that they can't seem to shake. This feeling of being like irritable and worried and can't, can't focus so much. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of that might be the same for kids too. But again, you know, for you and I, we might be able to pinpoint that and say, oh, something feels really crummy right now or... Oh my gosh, ever with everything going on in the world right now, I just feel, you know, feel worried. I'm anxious. This is this is super stressful. Kids might not be able to, number one, pinpoint that they're even having a feeling mm-hmm. because it might be so new to them or just it's just the lack of experience. So in behavior analysis, we, we might call this thing, they may not be able to attack the to attack the feeling. So they might not be mm-hmm. able to label what's going on internally. They they just might not have the language for it. So They might feel odd, but not really know what's going on or be able to maybe express it. So you might see that result in some behaviors. So you know maybe Mm -hmm. some more some more angry outbursts or or crying fits. Um, You know sometimes you might see some more bedwetting. You know that's not necessarily a, a have to. But for some kids, certainly that could be there. Maybe trying to avoid certain situations. Maybe kids are a little bit more whiny, or maybe a little bit more clingy. Um, uh, sleep sleep problems can also can also show in kids, and and you know even if you ask them, hey, what's wrong? They might not know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they or they might not even be able to tell you. You know, depending on the age. Um, you know, they may be able to say, you know, something's wrong, or they might be able to say, I'm, I'm afraid, because that's kind of the, the stamp that we kind of put on that feeling a little bit. Um, but I think what we see in kids is a lot more that anger, irritability, just looking a little off, um, and, and maybe without kind of the, the means to express it.
1: Mm. Yeah, gotcha. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of parents can relate to that.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was just right. thinking the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so another thing that we were thinking about and, and really just kind of setting it up for parents to understand a little bit more about anxiety, but who can parents go to in terms of treatment for anxiety? So who do they, now that they've identified it, who can they go and see to get some support?
3: Yeah, so, so if you're looking for more kind of formal means of getting some help, um psychologists or or therapists whether it be a social worker or marriage and family therapist uh counselors these are usually the areas that that families will turn to because they'll provide either some type of play therapy or talk mm-hmm. therapy to um to assist the, the 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 kid in in basically kind of working out and managing or even just identifying some of those really really big feelings uh that they're having um, so, so those are kind of the more formal formal strategies. A lot of times, I think parents might just first bring it up with their pediatrician, um, just because it's kind of they might see the behaviors like the sleeplessness or maybe mm-hmm. um, you know uh, the, the the bowel movement irregularity. So, you know, tummy troubles, I guess, would be wicked <laughs> the, yeah. the way of saying it, or tummy aches, or we just see maybe some more behavior outbursts, like hey, they're they're crying a lot more, or they're tantruming a lot more, um, and a lot of the, a lot of times the first person the parents will turn to is because it looks physical. It looks mm-hmm. like a behavior. They'll go to their pediatrician and then, mm-hmm. you know, which is, which is a great place to start to kind of rule out the medical. Um, mm-hmm. But then a lot of times the pediatrician will say, Hey, um, you know, after doing their assessment, they they may point toward um, someone who can kind of talk this out or work this out for the, for the child.
0: Hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's, and that helps give parents like a roadmap, you know, like if you're not really sure what's going on, it is a great place to start you know mm-hmm. being your pediatrician, and then they can kind of triage and and send you in a specific direction based on you know their assessment so yeah, that's helpful so along those lines um as it relates to treatment, maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the evidence based treatment options that are available right now for kids and also mm-hmm. for adults
3: sure yeah well'. well- you know, fortunately, I think the the strategies from a therapy based option and, and those that are effective and evidence based they're pretty similar for adults and kids. Of course, they're delivered in maybe a different way. Um, you know, if, if I'm working with an adult, I might have no problem kind of sitting there with them for the hour and having a full on conversation because there's that back and forth ability for us to to communicate. Um, you know, you might have to make some some changes if you're working with. Uh, a child, especially a younger child, is just from an attention perspective, you might not be able to sit there for the whole time and have a full-on, full-on chat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, but generally, the, probably the most, uh, what's called efficacious or evidence-based treatment option when we're talking about therapy for, for adults or kids with anxiety or just kind of worry or concern is, is what's called, uh, you might've heard it called CBT, um, but mm-hmm. the, the full name is cognitive behavioral therapy. So essentially what cognitive behavioral therapy is is it looks at the person's thoughts, the person's feelings, and the person's behavior, and how those three things kind of interact. Um, oftentimes, we might have um, thoughts that are maybe not super helpful, or maybe aren't even true. And that can have a pretty big influence on, on how we feel. And those thoughts and those feelings can have a pretty big influence on what we do about it. So a cognitive behavioral therapist might work with someone to look at those thoughts and look at those feelings to see, okay, what can we tease out of being uh, true or helpful? And can we kind of work on those patterns to see, is there any means of maybe putting more accurate thoughts or more helpful thoughts that can then help to generate more helpful uh, and accurate uh, and and adaptive behaviors?
1: Hmm. Okay. And do you find that CBT's Helpful for people starting at a certain age, like prior to age such and such, then maybe it looks a little different.
3: Yeah, it, it probably does. It does look a little bit different depending on you know the age and again, kind of that those communication abilities of the individual. There is adaptive uh, CBT programs or, or ways of of adapting CBT to where your uh, you you can work with younger kids and maybe you integrate some other things to assist, like maybe. You're integrating some play activities or some, um, some games and maybe even some art in within, uh, within the, the treatment. So that way you're kind of bridging that gap so that you're not just relying on what the, what the child is able to say. Because again, they may not necessarily have the words to express what's going on or maybe even the, the, the keenness just yet to identify, hey, here's what I'm feeling and here's why it's troubling for me.
2: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, that's great. I think you've nailed it too in that, you know, a lot of times our younger learners, they aren't able to say it. And so like you've said, it comes out in behaviors that we see. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the times parents will come to us as BCBAs, board certified behavior analysts, they come to us and they say, I have this huge behavioral challenge. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we get down to the bottom of it and we realize, "Ooh, there might be some anxiety going on here. So I guess that's a good segue into another question. So as a as a BCBA and a psychologist, so what are some ways that we could work together uh, in terms of supporting families who have children with anxiety?
3: Yeah. And, and I think that's a, you know, it's a great point because that working together, because, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes we have our areas of expertise, whether you're a, a talk therapist, a psychologist, a counselor, or you're a behavioral analyst, you're of course going to have your area of, of focus, your area where your training has been, and your comfortability just as a provider. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's not to say that you can't, work with other professionals and and in fact you know when there's multiple cooks in the kitchen if you're all working off of the similar recipe you know that that meal is going to taste a lot better so so making sure that we are kind of integrating our practice to to the extent of sharing information or communicating and collaborating usually works best for that person that we're trying to help which is ultimately our goal um so with with psychologists uh, or therapists who are working with the, with the kids, um, and you know I'm talking about kids mostly, you, typically they're going to focus a lot more on, on the thoughts and the feelings and then somewhat on the behaviors as well. But the behaviors are kind of going to be that link, the, the link to kind of get a little bit more understanding on on working towards those thoughts and those feelings. Mm-hmm. The behavior analyst is much more focused, typically on what we would call an overt behavior, which is just it's a fancy way of saying the stuff you can see hear and sometimes smell. right? So it's the, be- it's the behaviors that we're all kind of counting and tracking and agreeing on. So that's really where a behavior analyst is going to spend the majority of their focus. But as again, what we know about worry and anxiety is that, yes, there's a lot that's going on beneath the surface. A lot a lot of thoughts, a lot of feelings that are happening that really can't be identified. But mm-hmm. oftentimes, as you mentioned, it's expressed behaviorally. It's expressed against the environment. So behavior analysts can use that information, can understand those behaviors that are being demonstrated, and then and then work with the psychologist to say, okay, here's what I'm seeing they're doing. Here's how I'm seeing perhaps this individual is managing the things that are going on or coping with the circumstances that they're experiencing. And what are some ways that we can manipulate the environment or change things around for them so that we can help them to, w- whether it be manage this anxiety or, or at the very least, demonstrate more effective behaviors that are going to be healthier for themselves.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's good. I, I, it's good to hear that perspective too, because a lot of times we hear of professionals kind of working on their own expertise, kind of in a silo, and so it's kind of neat to hear how different professionals could come together, bring their expertise, and and really, I think. You always have some uh, fun analogies, Darren. I think you said like everybody putting their ingredients together to make it taste better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that kind of yeah makes sense. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Well, I mean, it's such an important part because, like, let's say you have a child who does have a diagnosis of of autism, or you have a child who does have a you know a full, complete diagnosis of, of generalized anxiety disorder. Well, that's not. The person. It's not the stamp that gets put on that, that, that person's forehead. They're still a whole person. So, you know, a child with autism may also be anxious sometimes. A kid with anxiety may also feel a little bit sad or may also be super happy go lucky. So, um, you know, it's important to think of kind of the whole individual, still maintain your area of practice and, and work within your area of competence, but be aware of what else is involved for the individual. And that's only going to make your work that much more fruitful
1: that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Okay. Well, so as we're talking about treatment and as we're talking about what professionals can do, it, it kind of really segues nicely into what I think a lot of our listeners are maybe wondering, which is okay. You know, if we have the, the ability, uh, and we're, we're fortunate enough to seek professional support, um, That's wonderful. Um, What can, but what if we can't, or what if we can, but we want to be able to also support that on the home front? So I guess my question is, you know, what are some things that parents can do at home to support their kids that might be, you know, experiencing anxiety?
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question too, because I mean, I'm sure, I don't know if you all have said this in, in your own practices, but I know I've said, that if I'm meeting with someone, even whether it's for an hour talk therapy session or when, you know, I was doing more direct services and as a behavior analyst, and and I would be there for longer periods, you know, it's all well and good that that these behaviors are being demonstrated and these skills are coming together with me. But if it's not happening when I'm gone with the family, then it's, it's, it's not really meaningful to anybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: So so, totally.
3: So if we could help families to kind of, I guess we can say arrange their own environment to help promote some of these behaviors and, and, uh, and be support, then, then that's, again, it's only going to, uh, not to go back to that cheesy analogy, but add to the recipe, right? Just like You know, it's, it's, it's the salt on the recipe to, to give it a, that extra flavor, I guess. So,
1: mm-hmm.
3: so, so a couple of things, uh, you know, I would suggest that families do is just be aware that again, anxiety, I hate this term, but uh, I'm lacking another word for it, but anxiety is normal, uh, it's it's mm-hmm. not something to be uh, it's not something to be afraid of. It's not something to be too worried about that. you know, you're you're not going to protect your child against ever having feelings of feelings of worry, stress, mm-hmm. strife. and in fact, trying to do so can actually you know cause a little bit more problems too because yeah, you know being facing some of these challenges helps helps individuals be able to then eventually kind of manage and and, mm-hmm. and overcome that and and know that they have that capability of doing so. so so, you know, understanding that, That these are real, real feelings, even if they're kind of real feelings, but because of something that maybe seems disproportionate or shouldn't be such a big deal, well, the feelings are real. So, you know, mm-hmm. maybe the dentist really isn't so scary and everything. You know, I hate to call out dentists, because that's always what <laughs> people bring up. Sorry, dentists. In reality, they're, they're, they're great. But, you know, what, before you go, you might have some, some concern, some worry, and maybe even some blatant fear about going. Now, maybe because you don't need, quote unquote, need to be afraid about it, doesn't mean you still don't have the feeling. Right. So you still have to validate that the feeling is true. And that's what they're experiencing it. That's what they're experiencing. But then you try to um, help the child to manage that feeling, um, whether it be by talking about the, the issue that they're uh, that they're afraid of, or that they're worried about, and maybe putting things into more realistic uh, perspective. Um, talking about what might be the options. What are some of the things that could happen if you go or if this happens? If it does happen, how are we going to deal with it? How are we going to manage it? So, again, you're not saying, hey, you shouldn't be worried about that or stop being afraid. What you're doing is saying, hey, Mm -hmm. I can see that you're afraid. Let's talk about what you're afraid of and see if there's another way of handling this or managing it. So so what that does is, is it puts things into a lot more realistic perspective for the individual but also helps them to feel That they're allowed to have feelings and and it and it's so it's not almost like you're worried about being worried. Um, Mm -hmm. so so that that validation, the the validation of that they are having a feeling is a lot different than validating that they should be afraid of something or they should be worried about something. And I think that's where a lot of people get tripped up is hey, if I if I talk to them about it, doesn't that mean that now I'm saying it's you know it's right and oh my gosh, you should be afraid of it? And I think those are two very different qualities hmm Yeah. Um,
1: I think that's a good distinction. Yeah. yeah. Huh. I think um, yeah, nor we hear normalizing a lot. So mm-hmm. normalizing these things and and the generalization piece that you bring up too is so important. We talk about that all the time with the families that we work with. It's like all well and good if you're learning these skills, but if you're not generalizing them to the home front with families, then it's it's not gonna be maintained and utilized in different settings and I think you hit on another really important point, too, which is just we can't shelter our kids from every feeling of upset or nervousness. And if we do, we're not we're kind of robbing them of the the skill sets that they need when they're adults. So I think that's so important. Right. Yeah, yeah and, and I was. Oh, go ahead, Darren. No,
3: no oh please. I was. I, I was just going to say that you know sometimes when we're worried about something or, or maybe even full on fearful of something, the natural inclination is to avoid it because mm-hmm. oh my god, I'm I'm something bad is going to happen if I do this, and then you you don't do it, and what sometimes ends up happening is that you never have that counter argument, right? You never, you never get on the elevator to see that actually it's pretty safe or you never cross the mm. bridge to know that you're going to be okay. So that mm-hmm. fear kind of and that worry related to it just kind of remains and you become kind of more, um, more entrenched in that, well, when I'm worried, I guess this is how I'm going to have to deal with it is by avoiding it or just oh. being sitting in my worry. Those Mm
1: -hmm. irrational fears
2: that stay irrational forever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. That's what I was going to say. I I feel like with a lot of parents that I talk with, they ask me that question a lot in terms of, well, how do I know when to push my child essentially over that hypothetical bridge? Or how how do I know how to respond to this? Should I just hold them back or should I push them forward? And so I think it's really good for you to clarify that for everybody a little bit. Um, I guess yeah. it, it, we, we should bring up the obvious, which is uh, right now what's happening mm-hmm. with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, I don't know about you, Angie, but I've, getting, I've been getting lots of families just yeah. asking yeah. me questions, you know, how do I talk to my child about this? My child is already anxious. What do I say? And so, Darren, if you could just maybe give us some or give our listeners some pointers of things or ways that they can handle COVID-19 with their children or teens.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it's you know, it's important. This is this is unprecedented times, I think, at least for mm-hmm. us. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, there's been scares and 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 big events, obviously, within our lifetimes. But this is this is something that feels very, very different. Um, you know, one thing, just kind of on the surface, and then maybe going into more, more detail. I, I do think it's important to, for for parents to acknowledge their own feelings and, and understand, Hey, you might not be doing so, you know, so great either. Uh, <laughs> and, and this right? you know, this is affecting your kids for sure, but you know, you have to fill your own cup too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so making sure that you're acknowledge- doing some self checks and, um, but you know, even doing that can be really great for your kids. You know, if you need a reason to validate that, <laughs> that you're doing something for yourself,
0: this can be really great
3: for your kids too, because the more that you're modeling, um, that you, number one, even have a feeling. And the more that you label mm-hmm. that, the more that your, your children will learn to do so as well, because they, again, remember, we talked about sometimes they don't have the words to express it. So the more that you're kind of saying, oh, yeah, you know, I was feeling kind of stressed today about this, that, the other thing, or yeah, that made me feel kind of anxious. A lot of families, you know, they might worry about doing that because, you know, they don't want to put it onto their kids. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you just leave it as, oh, my gosh, I'm freaking out and then walk away, <laughs> right. then, then, yeah, that, that could put a little bit of undue stress on your kids. But, <laughs> yeah. but if you're kind of modeling that, you know, mom was feeling, dad was feeling a little nervous today um, because, you know, I heard some news. It was a little, it was a little scary. Um, then it puts language to it. It, it. it puts a behavior to it that, that your, your kids can see. And then it also gives the next step and the next opportunity for. And then you know, and then I, I started thinking about it. I talked to I talked to X, Y, and Z about it. And you know, I feel mm-hmm. a little bit better. I'm still a little nervous, but you know, I think we can get through for for this time. So you're kind of modeling that coping strategy for your kid too. So you're giving mm-hmm. them the language. You're letting them know that other people have these feelings also. And then you're also modeling kind of how to manage and, and deal with it. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things I think that's so unique. Um, I mean, at least for me, I, I mean, mm-hmm. about this is this whole the, the quarantine. I, I, you know, I know not every state is under the same same orders. I think most are kind of under mm-hmm. are pretty similar, but mm-hmm. you know, I think this this adds. I, I can't imagine this not adding a bunch <laughs> to the worry. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. You know, w- because not only is it the you know fear or concern related to maybe being affected, or maybe you have loved ones who are who are impacted directly. Um, but you're also kind of stuck in place and, and, you know, mm-hmm. you're not able to do the normal things that you typically mm-hmm. do to either help yourself feel better or get your mind off things or just live, live a life. Um, yeah. uh, and you're all stuck together. under. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Most importantly, <laughs> yeah.
1: and you don't have any control too, or like, or know when this is going to end. That's right. the crazy part too. Right. right. Yeah.
3: So, so yeah. you know, a- acknowledging that, you know, I, I keep saying, you know, acknowledging that is, is a big deal and it doesn't really do anything to be honest, but it does a lot because once you acknowledge that you're in that situation, at least it gives mm-hmm. it, it gives a name to it. It identifies it and it allows you to kind of think about, Hey, what's the next steps going to be? Because if you're not, if you're kind of trying to keep it down and, and, and ignore it, then mm-hmm. you're still feeling it. You're still impacted yeah, by I- it. But, but it's you're, still
1: under you're, the rug if you just push it under there. Yeah, it's not you're, going you're,
3: away. You're just gonna trip over those lumps. So, yeah. you
1: know, so <laughs> there so, you go again, Darren. No, yeah, another one.
3: <laughs> <a> so, <laughs> so so at least acknowledging what you're feeling, labeling it for yourself, and then even if you can't come up with the strategy of this is what I'm gonna do about it, at least that kind of puts it there for you. Um mm-hmm. but as far as kind of dealing with or managing, coping with, maintaining yourself under these, under these times, um, you know, I, I, I would say, I guess, keep yourself informed, but, you know, take breaks from the information too. I mean, now, you know, we're so fortunate in that it's, it's so easy to get information to, for the most part about what's going on. Um, but which is, which is really, I mean, that's, that's awesome because a lot of times that information can help to dispel kind of the flights of fancy that can be really mm-hmm. anxiety provoking. Um, yeah. but then at the same time, when the information just keeps coming and there's not a stop mm-hmm. for it, that could be yeah, too much uh, information, pretty overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so it, it's okay to take kind of a, a, a COVID vacation from the information <laughs> for a bit, you know, in a responsible way. Like if you need to step back and say, no, I'm going to get off of social media for a bit because every time I scroll, it's just another story Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put on a show instead of the news for, even if it's just for a bit, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Hey, Mm -hmm. we, we have, most of us have the alert pings on our phones, So if something big happens, you'll find out about it. Um, So the other thing that's, that's super different, I think now is this, especially with this, the the virus and the concern for it and, and how it's delivered and us being kind of, you know, sheltered in place is that, these connections that we usually have, you know, we don't have them in the same way. Um, mm-hmm. So being okay with kind of that adaptation of, uh, I'm sure this has been said a bunch of times before, but like making those connections, even if you can't physically connect. So mm-hmm. um, again, yeah. fortunately, we're in that kind of information technology age where we can do, uh, you know, FaceTime or even just a call on the phone. So, um, you know, it's not the same, obviously, but, it, but, it's, but it's something and it's helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
2: I have a, a follow-up question to that and so I've actually I've been asked this a couple times uh over the last couple of weeks and families are leaning on me to to ask whether they're, this is going to affect their children forever. I think that's kind of the <laughs> phrase that a mom used to me the other day like is this going to scar my kid forever? And you know, so maybe talking a little bit about ways that parents can Maybe sh- uh, help shelter their children during this time. Not too much, obviously. But how can mm-hmm. we make sure that it's not going to make this major impact that they're that's going to affect them forever in terms of social like trauma? Yes, Absolutely. exactly. Yeah. Yes.
3: yeah, and 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 Angel, I think that's that's a good kind of distinction of like, oh my gosh, this is going to cause a traumatic, right. you know, a traumatic yes. event. Versus, you yes. know, hey, they're going to remember this, and they might, mm-hmm. you know, they might remember, hey, remember when I was seven and I had a stay and you know I didn't get to finish second grade? That's kind of where. You know, right, my, my mm-hmm. and, and that might be impactful, right? That might that might that might be an issue. It might be something that they remember, but that's very different than it being you know a, as you mentioned like a scar on their on their upbringing. Um, yeah. So again, talking to them about it, talking to talking to them about you know, hey, what are the next things that are going to come? Talking about you know what's what they're what they will be able to do, and focusing on you know. The, the opportunities that they will put and things that they they will be able to do in the future, and then some of the good things that you can do now. I know it's kind of looking at a very very dull silver lining, but hey, look at all this. You know, as much as maybe for us we're like, oh my gosh, we're we're stuck at we're stuck all together, but you know, know, we're all together. So at least we get to be you know around each other a little bit more than we, we have ever had the opportunity to. Um, yeah. But but bringing it up for them, letting them talk about it, even if it's you know, I, I noticed it, you know from from my for my daughters, my, my oldest, at least, you know, she'll not really talk about it. And then she'll kind of say, Oh, I guess my teacher isn't going to be my teacher. And then that'll be kind of it. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's like, Oh, you, you know, I don't know if you've, if she was been thinking about it for a long time, or if it's just kind of the, the thought that popped in, but kind of being mm-hmm. present and, and aware of those opportunities to kind of dive in if, if they want to, or kind of, let that sit and marinate for a bit. I think, you know, as a parent, I I think it's helpful. Um, and if they want to talk about it more, even if it's kind of surface level stuff, I think that that's good. Um, but calling out the calling out the feelings, labeling those feelings, mm-hmm. letting them know that it's okay to talk about these things, uh, I yeah. think that's the biggest thing. It's okay to say you're you know you don't like this. It's okay to say that you're bummed that you're stuck inside. It's okay to say. You know, you, it stinks that you can't see your friends right now, you know, and, and not to say, well, there's a lot of worse things going on right now. Yeah, that's, that's right. true. But, you know, validating their experience is, is really important as as well. And and that's where, yes, it'll be impactful, but won't be. But hopefully or or more than likely won't be something that just sits with them for, for a long time.
1: Yeah, we did a webinar um, not that long ago in response to. COVID nineteen and the concerns that the parents had that we support and they came to, to us to ask for, you know, some strategies and some tips. And um, you know, to your point, Darren, about just it being kind of the difference between a trauma and just, oh, this interesting weird thing happened. I, I think a lot of it does go back to your earlier point about how we our behavior impacts our kids and, okay. and being mindful of our behavior and um, modeling appropriate behavior. The example I gave in the webinar was when I was uh, younger back in Los Angeles. We had the big Northridge 1994 earthquake, and we were right near the epicenter. I think my hometown is just a couple miles from the epicenter, and um, we our house got red tagged we had to stay in a tent right. and we had to work with FEMA and you know we had to get go down and get water and um couldn't go back to school for a long time and what i remember is my parents they were so calm and i'm sure they were they're actually they were ironically the same exact age that i am now oh when wow when this happened yeah wow. um and and so i was thinking okay so what would my parents do and mm-hmm. i looked back and I remember my parents, my dad getting out the barbecue, barbecuing with the neighbors. We lived in a cul-de-sac, so we all were in the tents, and we were playing, riding bikes. My parents were just, you know, barbecuing, having fun, and I remember it just being like, oh, yeah, that, that was that cool time when all the neighbors were out, and we didn't have to go to school, and so my parents, I think they were probably scared and, you know, worried about the house and everything that was broken. Our back wall, you know, collapsed over into the neighbor's yard. It was a big deal, but I didn't remember it that way. Right. So it's, you know, I'm sure they were trying to be mindful of the, how we internalize that experience. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of demonstrating a sense of calm and comfort in, in a, in a really challenging circumstance can, can be pretty impactful for, for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I actually, one, um, one thing I've heard a lot and I wanted to ask you about it is the phrase, name it and tame it. What do you think about, about that phrase as it relates to anxiety?
3: Uh, I haven't heard that one, but I might start stealing it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, think that's, I think that's great. I mean, again, it kind of goes with what, you know, I was talking about before, which is once you're kind of identifying what's going on with yourself and how you're feeling and, and it doesn't have to be, it'd be whatever language you want to use. It doesn't have to be, you know, anxiety or stress or worry. It could be however you want to describe it, but kind of calling it out and identifying it for what it is then helps you to say, Okay. This is what I'm experiencing. This is how I'm feeling right now. This is what I'm thinking about right now, and this is the situation that I'm in. Now I can live my life with this, and what I can do with this. So mm-hmm. whether that be I'm, I'm I'm going to do some things to kind of help me to feel better in the moment, or I'm going to be more accepting that this is the circumstance that I'm in, and there's only certain things that I can and can't do about this, and I and I and these are the things I'm going to be as comfortably uncomfortable as I can be. Um, but I think, I think that, that what was a name it and tame it is, is kind of a really nice, nice uh, strategy for, for kind of understanding where we are and then what to do with, with a lot of this uncomfortable feelings that we have.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that phrase kind of, when you were saying that, it, it brought up things back from my my graduate school in counseling and thinking about that phrase, hearing that like, that's exactly what Darren's saying in a different way. So <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time. We Kristen, you and I usually do a, uh real talk with real moms sort of segment and and we we thought in lieu of that we would interview our kids um all of us as i said had kids um darren's girls and my girls are friends actually they're the same age um and and then kristen your kids are a little bit younger Mm -hmm. and so we wanted to just kind of hear from the kids perspective a little bit about their thoughts around anxiety and nervousness so so take a listen lily what is anxiety or nervousness?
0: When you're nervous, it means to be a little shy and
3: think you can't do something when you c- can.
1: And what does it feel like to be anxious or nervous?
3: You, inside your stomach, you feel like you have
0: butterflies, and it feels weird for you. It feels like you. Or you have pain in your stomach.
3: Hey, Beezy, what do you think it means to be anxious or nervous?
0: Um, like scared or worried.
3: And what does it feel like? Butterflies in your tummy. Is there anything you can do if you're feeling that way? You can breathe. What
2: do you do when you're feeling nervous?
3: I'm nervous. Hmm,
2: Good point. Very good point. What do you do when you feel worried?
3: Um, give mommy a hug. Yeah, you could
2: give mommy a hug. That's good. What is something that makes you feel worried?
1: Um, something new.
3: When there's something new. Well, that's a good answer.
1: All right, thank you guys so much for joining. Thanks, Darren. Thanks I think for having you're coming me. on
2: the show. Thank
1: you. Maybe you'll come back again. Good. Yeah, I love you. <laughs>
2: All right. Well, thank you for joining us for our fourth episode of Behaviorally Speaking. This quarter, our focus is on social emotional learning. And so in lieu of a podcast, Angie will be hosting a webinar next month on social emotional learning at home. So if you're interested in tuning into that, you can go to go.rethinkfirst.com forward slash webinar. The following month, our next podcast will be on making and maintaining friends. So until then, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode.
0: You've been listening to Behaviorally Speaking with Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi. Behaviorally Speaking is brought to you by Rethink Benefits. We want to again thank Dr. Darren Sush for being a special guest on today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Behaviorally Speaking on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, stay well.